0: Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson as we kick off the series, Mind Matters. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there.
1: Hey, community. No matter where you're joining us from, there's something we all have in common. And all of us have something we don't like about ourselves. There's something that we kind of look at ourselves and we wish was different. Because I think all of us, we have a mental model of who we should be. And probably every one of us could finish this sentence, I wish I was blank. I wish I was blank. Now for me, I wish I was, for a good chunk of my life, six foot five. (laughs) <laughs> all right why why six foot five when I was a kid I fell in love with basketball I, I was the kind of kid who I mean I played basketball in my driveway all day long I practiced 100 free throws trying to perfect them I was sure I was going to be in the NBA and if I'm going to be in the NBA of course that meant I would of course be six foot five and so in order to measure me getting to six foot five I had my parents they would mark on the inside of a door how tall I was at different ages so at seventh grade I'm like five foot eight which is pretty tall. I'm on my way. By my freshman year, I'm 5'10". My sophomore year, I'm 5'10". Junior year in high school, I'm 5'10". My senior year, I'm still the same. <laughs> this is not the way it's supposed to work. I was supposed to be here, and I ended up being here. And I think all of us, we have certain things we're going like, I'm supposed to be here, but I'm here. We have a mental model of who we should be and consequently, the discrepancy, there's things we don't like about ourselves. Well, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to fill in the blank. I wish I was blank. Now, if I was brutally honest, if I was brutally honest, I'd probably say something different than just my height. I think all of us have things we might say like, you know, I thought by now I'd be here relationally, but it feels like I'm here. I thought by now, vocationally and career-wise, I would have climbed the corporate ladder and gotten to here. But I'm stuck here. I thought by now, financially, I'd be here. I thought spiritually I'd be at this place by now. That's where I thought I would be, but I'm not. And we expect that of ourselves. And here's what happens. Inside, our minds start constantly critiquing us. And as they critique us, they create something inside of us. And this thing it creates inside of us is called anxiety. Anxiety. And this anxiety, when our mind speaks to us, it says, what's the matter with you? You're not good enough. (laughs) Can't you change that? And I think we all hear that, and it creates inside of us anxiety. And that's just one reason of why what we're starting today is, I think, one of the most important series, one of the most timely series we have done in years at Community. And it's this series right here called Mind Matters because here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna specifically talk to you about a very important part of your spiritual life, and that is your mental health. The truth is this, and I want you to hear this, your mind matters. And what we wanna do during this series, is we wanna actually kind of break the silence that often accompanies mental illness. I, wanna, I want us to eliminate the stigma that has come alongside with mental illness. And what I wanna do is I wanna bring to the forefront. What God wants to do is he wants to bring healing to your whole person, including your mind. And this topic of mental health and mental illness, it has been a pain point. It has been a, a point of real hurt for us as a church family. I mean, people have been hurt. And people have been lost. And I know you join me in that we want that to stop. And that's why we have to talk about this out loud. That's why we have to proactively deal with this topic. Now, some of you may be not in agreement, but at the same time, also going like, "Okay, well, I didn't know my mental health had anything to do with my spiritual well-being. <laughs> it does." In fact, Jesus even says it does. Check this out. Here's what Jesus said to his followers, how he wanted to be, bring their whole self to God. He says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. What's that last word there? And all your, wherever you are, you can just say it out loud, your mind. And, and Jesus was actually uh, accentuating that word right there, this, this word right here, mind, in, in a way that as English speakers, most of us and English readers, we don't, we don't really get it. See, Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament here. He's quoting from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Everybody listening to him, they knew the Shema. They, knew, they had it memorized. So when he starts to say the, the, the Shema, they were like familiar. They could almost check out. Because and, and, here's what the Shema says. Look at this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Notice what it didn't say. So he quotes the Shema back to them, something they knew, but then he adds this. Look what he adds. He says, and all your mind. It's because what Jesus is saying is, I want you to bring your whole self, including your mental, your mind to God. And I think what he's specifically saying to us in this series is your mind matters. It matters. And I'll tell you what, this is so relevant for, uh, I mean, September 2020, um, the National Institute of Mental Health did a study, and it showed us this, that 20% of all adults in the U.S., that's 47 million, acknowledge they struggle with mental illness. That was pre-COVID. That number has jumped from 20% to now 33%. Almost 78 million adults say, yeah, I struggle with some kind of mental illness. It's just beating me up. And I don't know if you saw this, but the CDC came out and they said that 25% of young adults during this pandemic have had suicidal thoughts. And I want that just to sink in because here's the deal. Those are not just stats. I mean, those are people. And those are people in our church family and people we love and beyond people who we should love. And that's why I'm telling you, we need to all be all in for the next four weeks as I think we become, clearly start to understand that what Jesus is saying to us, what God is saying to us is your mind matters. Now I want to specifically deal with the topic in this first week of anxiety. Now anxiety is something that all of us are going to feel to a certain degree, but there will be moments and there will be seasons when your usual coping, the usual ways you manage anxiety just doesn't work. And when that happens, that's when you need to get help. And for that very reason, we've invited Dr. Dawn Kroenke to join us. Uh, Dr. Cronkey is a 21-year professional in the area of psychological therapy. Her specialty is anxiety. And on top of that, she's also been a part of community and a friend for the last nine years. Don, I just want to say thank you so much for, uh, for the, joining us for this conversation, bringing your experience and your expertise on a much-needed topic around anxiety. Where I'd like to start is I think all of us struggle with some level of anxiety, but, but how do you know when it actually becomes a problem?
2: You're right. We do struggle with a certain level of anxiety every day, every day that we're breathing. Um, we can have anxiety about doing interviews like we're doing right now. Um, We can have anxiety about a big work project that we have to um, produce for our job. For students, we can have anxiety if we have a test coming up. There are times in our lives where we're making big decisions if we're gonna move to another state, if we're going to take a new job. So it's normal to have a sense of anxiety. And I, I typically refer to that more as general stress about things that are going in our lives. But when the stress seems to kick up even more and we're experiencing symptoms that are very bothersome for us for several days to several weeks, and I would say really not more than two weeks as a, a cutoff time frame. if you're having symptoms for that long, then it becomes a little bit more clinically significant and may warrant an actual diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. So before I talk a little bit about common symptoms, I, I wanted to sort of flesh out three particular disorders that people may say they're familiar with and, or may question okay. um, for someone they know if it's going on for them. So maybe we've heard about generalized anxiety disorder. It's a pretty popular disorder wherein people worry about anything and everything. Um, and, and this will be consistent worry. It can be worries from um, about their health, about finances, about a family member's health, um, sometimes I'll classify it as when someone says to me, I worry about having something to worry about. Oh, so, yeah. like, it's, it's this ongoing sense of worry and, and really not very valuable for their health. Now, that's, that's a little bit about generalized anxiety disorder. The other thing that I would comment on is post-traumatic stress disorder which many people will say they've heard that title and they have a sense they know what it is. Um, they'll talk about how people panic when they have post-traumatic stress disorder, Um Things that we know about post traumatic stress disorder and what's really been thought decades ago is that it was only relevant for people who were veterans who faced combat.
1: Which, I mean, when you said it, that was was the illustration that came to mind for me instantly. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that.
2: It is more than that. Um, Certainly, people who are veterans experience combat, they experience very dangerous, traumatic, terrifying events. But what we learned along the decades is that it's not just veterans. It's the, the whole premise of you've experienced some very traumatic, terrifying event in your life. The thing about post-traumatic stress disorder is that when you're in the situation, it makes complete sense to be terrified and anxious. But when you're not in that situation anymore and you still are operating on that fight or flight mm. syndrome that like it's danger, danger, but it's not actually happening right now, That's where um, it becomes much more problematic and why you might be diagnosed with a post-traumatic stress disorder because what happens is you're operating on that fight-or-flight syndrome all day long, every day, as if something's happening to you. Now, another category of anxiety disorder um, is uh, specific phobias or simple phobias. So um, this is where we have a fear of an object or an event And really, we would say an unreasonable fear because there's no um, specific or um, threatening danger to us, but we perceive it as so. So examples of specific phobias are very common things. Fear of flying, right? Fear of heights. Um, Some fear of insects, right? And the thing with phobias is that um, many, it's pretty common that people have phobias. Are they things that are so problematic that they need to be treated Maybe not. I mean, if I have a fear of bees, as long as it's not affecting my daily performance, my work performance, my ability to do things, I'm not staying held up in my house because I'm so terrified that the bees are flying around right. outside, it's probably not necessary for me to seek treatment.
1: One of the things you did, um, I've heard you use the illustration of a dashboard to kind of help us identify when it becomes a problem. That really worked for me. You mind sharing that?
2: Yes, love using the dashboard. So when you have symptoms, I'll talk specifically about some of those symptoms in a moment, but when we have symptoms that are going on for several days or weeks, and it is impacting our job performance or our relationships negatively, um, we need to do something, we need to find an expert. And so I like to use the dashboard analogy because I know nothing about fixing cars, and I have no desire. I I didn't do any training. You,
1: Don, are in very good company.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So when I'm driving, if my dashboard says service engine soon, I'm calling the dealership and saying, I think I need to get the car in. And I'm taking it in because that's their expertise. That's what they were trained to do. I'm not trained to take care of my car. I I know I could YouTube it, but probably not gonna be the best results.
1: So what I'm hearing you say, really, is there's, there's three different categories for us to be kind of like, okay, look at our mental health dashboard, and if, if as, as you're talking and people are listening, if the light's flashing, that might be an indication, hey, Pay attention. You may pay attention. You may need to get some help. Right. Get an expert to take a look at this.
2: Absolutely. And some of the ways that you'll know, some of those signals that you may get, talking about specific symptoms for anxiety, um, you'll have the classic worrying about things. You'll have bodily symptoms sometimes. Sometimes people will say, I'm getting frequent stomach aches or oh, okay. I'm getting a lot of headaches. People will talk about how they have shortness of breath or they feel heart palpitations. Right? Those are common symptoms for anxiety disorders. And then people will also talk about that are having difficulty concentrating, difficulty focusing. And this can be a slippery slope because when we talk about problems concentrating and focusing, it may be anxiety, it may be depression, it may be a true um, attention deficit disorder, or it may even be a sleep disorder. An expert will take the time to help figure out where, where the problem is happening and determine is it an anxiety disorder or is it something else that's going on for you. Now, I last mentioned could be a true sleep disorder, which is a nice segue because that's another classic symptom of anxiety disorders, problems with sleep. People will talk about how I can't get to sleep, so classic insomnia. And a lot of that is because they will describe how my mind is just racing. I can't quiet it. It's just going, going, telling me all the things that I'm not doing right and that I'm not going to be able to accomplish tomorrow and you name it, right? And so people will say I have a hard time slowing down those thoughts at night
1: which certainly disrupts sleep so in some ways this is kind of like if i get in my car and i'm driving i hear bang 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 i don't know what's exactly going on i take it into the shop they're like hey you need some oil
2: absolutely
1: (laughs) and it might i mean sometimes it's as simple as that and sometimes no it's it's more serious than that but that's the precaution absolutely let me ask you this too What are some of the, I'm curious, underlying kind of root causes for these anxiety disorders?
2: One of the first things I would think about is genetic predisposition. If there's a family member that's experienced this issue, we may be more likely to experience it as well. But just like with physical illnesses, even though we're predisposed, doesn't mean that we're guaranteed to get it. But I think it's something to be aware of. Is it a family member? And does it run in our family? So that's one line of thinking is that this is something that is genetically based. Another line of thinking has to do with just our brain chemistry, that there is, if you will, a chemical imbalance, right? So we have millions of chemical reactions that are going on in our brain throughout the day. And sometimes things get off kilter. Maybe something, uh, one of the chemicals we have that really helps our functioning with our mood and our thought processes is a little bit off. Maybe a little bit too much, a little bit too less. And if we don't have it at the right levels, we might experience an increase in anxiety. Now, those are two ways. I think a third train of thought kind of coincides with the discussion about post-traumatic stress disorder. If we have something really traumatic happen in our lives, that may just be the tipping point for the anxiety to start for us.
1: It could be something genetic. It could be something even physical. Or it might be something experiential, which could trigger the other three. You bet. Which is really helpful for all of us because I think in some ways what that does, it kind of destigmatizes it. And it takes the shame away from going like, no, it's, it's something that maybe I inherited or maybe it's just something with the way my body's operating right now or it's an experience that either came on me or I had and now I need to get help for it. Yes. I'll tell you, one of the things we're really hoping during this series is we wanna normalize the conversation around mental health. Um, and part of, part of normalizing the conversation gets people to talk about it. And talking about it I think brings, as you've talked to me about, brings healing. And so one of the things we're going to do during this series is share some courageous stories of people who are going to talk about their own struggles. And this first one is a friend of both of ours, John Yes. Uh, John is uh, the community pastor at our Plainfield location. And um, he's shared with both of us his own battle with anxiety.
0: It was about two years ago that I realized for the first time that I have battled anxiety my entire life. My primary symptoms, and I think this is different for everyone, it was just a fear. And not of anything in particular, just just fear. And it was almost always coupled with dread, especially in the evening. But that was all on the inside. I, I, I mean, I was afraid to, to sleep. I couldn't sleep well. But externally, nobody would know. I mean, even Amy didn't know. You know, eventually you just get to a point where you, you've got to tell somebody. But I suffered silently for, for far too long. Two years ago, there were, uh, it was really centered around my, my three boys. Um, and there were things that were going on in their lives that I couldn't fix as as their dad. And then I, I couldn't sleep at night. I literally began to, to tremble. You know, one night I, I was just trembling and I, and I wasn't sleeping. And I told Amy, I got to get some help. I'm going to reach out to my friend Dawn, who I knew uh, was, uh, was, a, was a psychologist. We actually met in the church building and we sat in, in the nursery in two different rocking chairs and, and I'm literally like in tears and I'm just pouring out uh, how I'm feeling, how I felt this way before. And at the end she said, John, you're, you're suffering from anxiety. And there are a number of things that I want to recommend for you to do long term, but in the short term, you really need to get on some medication. I had all sorts of uh, of reasons to to push back and say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I think it was an admission that I had a problem that I couldn't fix myself. And so if I took medication, that was sort of like, um, I can't fix it. I, I, I need help. But I needed help. One of the things that Dawn said in addition to medication would be counseling. I think the role of a counselor is to help you to discover, okay, what is it? That is, that is leading to those anxious thoughts, That that is leading to an imbalance in your brain. I think through counseling, you begin to realize, you're like, okay, I, I can get through this. I, I can see all of those things now that, that contributed to it. And when you can identify and articulate that, quantify it, you can actually formulate a plan to, to tackle it. I would encourage anybody to Uh, have conversations. Maybe maybe you're afraid, maybe you're scared, but uh, talk to your spouse, talk to a close friend, somebody that is gonna walk alongside you and and see you through it. Uh, Talk to your doctor, schedule an appointment to talk to a counselor. You know, we think we we know best, but I didn't know best. And there are other people that are educated and skilled in this and and we need to reach out to them and we need to allow them to
1: to bless us. the way they're trained to. I'm super grateful uh, to John for sharing his story. And I'm also grateful that you're one of the people that he reached out to and were able to help him. I have a hunch that a lot of people are watching this and kind of their own dashboard might be flashing and going like, you know what? Maybe I need to look under the hood. I need to get some things checked out. Um, What would you tell them to do? Um, What resources are available to them?
2: I would encourage, I would tell them to do exactly what John did. Reach out to a trusted family member or friend and share with them. Be vulnerable. Tell them what you've been experiencing, what, what's been difficult for you. And it, perhaps through talking with that trusted individual or friend, um, you might find some um, basic coping strategies that you've utilized in the past to get through temporary anxious moments, Um, things like, I I call them coping skills because these are things that uh, we're taught uh, through therapy many times to um, maybe take some calm breaths, Uh, maybe get out in nature, go for a walk. If you have a dog, take the dog for a walk, play with the kids, maybe do some listening to some calming music. Uh, i also love to recommend journaling, writing out your thoughts, thinking about, obviously, where we're at in in church, um, using your prayer journal, like writing those prayers and worries and giving them to God.
1: Um, Well, one of the things that comes to mind immediately for me when you said to reach out to a friend, that's one of the reasons we encourage so many people to get in a small group. Yeah, I, mean, I know you're in a small group. Yes,
2: absolutely. I mean,
1: your first suggestion wasn't a therapist, although we'll get to that. Yes, but you know, sometimes just hey, say it out loud to a friend.
2: Once you've done sort of those coping skills and you have done that initial reach out, if you're still noticing that those symptoms, right, paying attention to that dashboard, those symptoms are still flashing at you. Then it's time to see the professional, right? It's, it, that's when it's time to take the car in because you want to be able to navigate the roads much better in your life. And what that can look like in terms of what's available to you, you can contact a psychologist like myself, um, any trained um, math, uh, um master's level therapist, licensed clinical social worker. You can also start with seeing your physician. And oftentimes if you'll come to to a psychologist or any other mental health therapist, typically a part of our intake will be gathering what's your physical health history looking like and when is the last time you've seen your physician because we want you to make sure there's nothing medically going on with you as well. Those are the, the reach outs that you can do and what kinds of treatment that you can get If you see a physician, an MD, who can prescribe medications, um, you can get medication to help with the anxieties. When I talked about the chemical imbalance, sometimes it's a matter of getting those chemicals back on track with medications prescribed from either a psychiatrist or your treating physician— or, or a psychologist who can prescribe as well. Um, and then another option is to do therapy, actual talk therapy where you come in and it's just one-on-one visit with that individual. Uh, you may do that for a short period of time. You may do that for a lengthy period of time. I'll even add that in my experience, sometimes the combination, medication and therapy, we know that's very effective. So there's, there's all kinds of resources that can be available to you.
1: Let me ask this, let's say someone's watching they're listening and they're going like mm, i think i think i'm doing okay i do have some anxiety but it's not to that level but they start thinking about a friend and they're going you know what this sounds like what my friend was talking about or they have a family member who maybe had confided or they have been observed what, what coaching would you give to someone who has a, f- a friend or a family member who maybe needs to get some help
2: i would encourage them to go to that individual and say you know i've been I've been learning something about anxiety, and there's some things that I've noticed or I've, I've read and I wonder if if this resonates for you so i would I would bring it to them in that way and and I would uh, um, allow them to share their story with you and I would offer I would encourage by saying, "Hey, can I maybe take you to go see someone to check this out a little bit more I'll go with you." Um, I would also encourage that family member or friend to for a moment pause and step back and remind themselves that they didn't cause this for their family member or their friends, right? So, so try not to take it personally because sometimes, right, when we, when we get really anxious, it can affect our relationships and we can be really yep. snippy with friends and family. And so if you can step back and honor that, oh, that's right, they're really stressed right now and, and, and they need my support. And what I would say that friends and family can do, which maybe they don't even realize that they're expert at this sometimes, is just validate. I see that you're really struggling. I know that you're having a really hard time and I want to help. What can I do? Validate the emotions that are going on and offer to take those first steps to get them the next help that they can, they can get.
1: Don, this has been so, so helpful. Uh, really, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, because you've dealt with hundreds of people um, what I would like, though, would you do this? Because there's probably some people who are going like, yeah, I need to take the next step. Um, this is has become a problem. What kind of closing words of encouragement or advice would you give to them?
2: First, I would say give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. I know I have to give myself grace every day. Next, I would say that even if you're dealing with an anxiety disorder, that does not mean that you're inferior or you're deficient. It means that you're struggling with something. And kind of Like the car analogy, um, I think what comes into play oftentimes when people are feeling this way is that there's a shame factor, right? And this is something that we're trying to break that, the stigma of, of acknowledging if we have an anxiety disorder and getting help for it. And so I try to remind people when you're dealing with anxiety, it's no different than dealing with physical illnesses and getting help for it is no different. And there certainly is help that's out there. And the other thing that probably is already noted, the thousands of people that are dealing with anxiety is just a reminder that you're not alone. There's so many other people out there struggling with this as well, and you can get help, and I would encourage you to listen to that dashboard and go get help.
1: Thanks so much. I think uh, probably during this season, maybe more than any other during our lifetime, um, We've needed the gifts of people just like you, and uh, thank you for uh, contributing those.
2: You're welcome, David. It's been great being here.
1: I just want to say thank you so much to uh, John Szynowski for just courageously and authentically sharing his story, and also to uh, Dr. Kronke for also sharing her gifts and her expertise. Now, as we wrap up, what I want to do is I want to end with a twofold fold challenge in the, as we deal with this struggle with anxiety. All right, first of all, and this is for some of you very specifically if you're struggling and you know the dashboard light like we're talking about, it's flashing. Hey, something, something's not working right. Or if on that continuum, it's not really a cold, it's moving over on this end, okay? And you know anxiety is getting the best of you. Here's the first thing I want you to do right now is I want you to do this. Go to communitychristian.info. We want to go through this journey with you. We want to help you talk about this out loud. We want to help you. And you go to communitychristian.info. We have resources there that can help you take the next step to get the help that you need. Please do that. In fact, right now, I don't care what you do for the rest of the service. If you need that, go ahead and do that right now. Then you can come back and join us. Do that right now. That's for some of you. Here's the second challenge. The second challenge is for all of us. For all of us. And it's this. I want you to memorize this Bible verse. And maybe you just go ahead and take a picture of the screen um, or write down that that text, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. But I want you to memorize this. Now, Now, here's why. This book right here, this book, the Bible, is given to us to help us train our minds. Because here's what happens, and we've already dealt with this. Our minds will deceive us. Our minds will tell lies to us. Our minds will tell us things that aren't true. The Bible will tell us what's true. It helps combat the lies of our minds. So, over the next week or two weeks, when your mental model of who you should be is telling you lies and it's saying, hey, you ought to be here relationally. And you know you're here. You ought to be here financially. You ought to be here spiritually. You ought to be here in your career. When it's telling you those things, I want you to fight back with this truth. And here's what it says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Live. He wants to give you a full life, a whole life, a healthy life. Here's how. This is love. Not so much that we loved God, but instead that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right, why specifically memorize this verse? Let me accentuate something here. Here's why. I wanna highlight something here in verse nine. This word showed. In the original language in which the Bible was written, this is the word phanaru. And phanaru has this idea of revealed is something that was kind of you couldn't really see and suddenly just burst into appearance. You can suddenly, it's on display. And what it's telling us is something that's been hidden is suddenly gonna be revealed to you in this verse. And it's telling us that when Jesus comes into our world, into our life, he reveals, he shows us something otherwise we wouldn't see. And here's what it is. Look at the next part. It says, love. Not so much that we love God, but that God loves us. Okay, again, why memorize this verse? because this verse will reveal to you, will show you something you don't often see, and we often forget, and it's this, that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. God loves you at five foot 10, even though you're not six foot five. Whatever is the disconnect, whatever the mental model, whatever it is that your brain is telling you that you're not good enough, God says, no, I love you just as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. So again, when your mind this week starts saying, hey, what's the matter with you? You're not good enough. You've you, you got to change that. This verse helps you fight back, and it tells your mind the truth that Jesus reveals, that Jesus shows us that God loves you, specifically you, just as you are not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. All right, don't forget this, don't forget this. Your mind matters.